Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So have you ever worked yourself up to try something new? Have you ever like kind of conjured up enough confidence to to do something that, you know, was kind of 50-50, whether or not you'd be able to figure it out, or you kind of worked yourself up to try something that was a little bit scary. You had enough people in your ear um, and had enough free time to maybe even just entertain that it was possible. And then you got in the middle of it and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. For some of you, this is every time you try to put together Ikea furniture. Yeah. It's like, why are there so many pieces left over? Do you know? It's like, they didn't give me this many extra pieces. This is some of you, anytime you try to fix anything, certainly me, you know, I don't know, I can fix the car, you know, and all you had was the confidence of one YouTube video and you, you get in the middle and it's like, why did it look so much easier for them? You know? Um, maybe um, I've, I've, I've never been skydiving, uh, but I would imagine the courage to just like say, I'm going to do it, sign up, sign the waiver that says it's not our fault, you know, and then you, you get in the plane, that is some level of like, you know, energy, and then you're facing the jump and that feels like a different level of energy when it's actually time to what, why am I doing this exactly? Um, <laughs> maybe for some of you, it's, this is parenting, <laughs> you get they're two. What am I doing? You know, they let you just take the kid home. It's still a, an unbelievable thing. I don't understand it. But here's, you know, here's, here's what you intuitively know is that the energy required to take the first step is typically different than the energy required to continue. You know this intuitively. The first time I ever experienced this in my life that I can remember was in the second grade. And uh, I grew up playing soccer and, or third grade, excuse me. Not that that detail mattered to you, uh, but I, I grew up playing soccer and um, in, in third grade, three of my buddies, Brad, Adam, and Sam, they all played baseball. And so I thought, you know what, mom, dad, I want to take a year off from soccer and I'm going to go play baseball with Adam, Brad, and Sam. And they're like, what's baseball? You know, they're from Israel. And so, um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do this. And y'all... It was absolutely terrible. It was so, it was so bad. It was so bad. It was the first year of kid pitch. And so um, I had no, I'd never played baseball before. Now I've got kids my age throwing a baseball at me. It was terrifying. It was so bad. I ended up quitting. There's a reason none of you can name a Middle Easterner player in Major League Baseball. (laughs) It's not our thing. It's not our thing. Soccer is our thing, right? We've all been there. You get this. The energy to start something. Maybe it's the energy to stop something. But the energy to take that first step is oftentimes different than the energy required to continue. And the same is true with courage. That oftentimes taking that first step into something difficult, unknown, or hard, or scary requires one level of courage. But then to continue on when it gets hard to keep choosing the direction that you went is a different level of courage. Hold on to that for just 
a second. Because today we're concluding a series that we've been in for the past couple of weeks called Do It Scared, where we've been talking about just that, what it looks like to live a life of courage that we can all remember a time in life, maybe even recently, maybe even now, where fear held us back from something. It held us back from what we know we needed to do, that fear held you back from something you know that you should do. Fear held you back from something you just felt compelled and maybe even convicted to do, that fear held you back from what following Jesus would require of you. And so we've been talking about what it looks like to live on the other side of that fear and take a step of courage. But as we've said, courage in this series is not about eliminating fear. Um, Eliminating fear isn't always practical. It's not really helpful. In fact, if we're just being honest, if we waited until fear was eliminated to do the thing that we needed to do, should do, or felt convicted to do, we would often never do those things. Instead, courage in this series is about overcoming fear because that's what courage is. Courage, courage is not the absence of fear. I don't know what makes courage so possible. It's the complete opposite. Courage is moving forward even in the face of fear. That by definition, courage is taking a step even when there is something to fear. And this is uncomfortable and this is scary, but this is really important. We've laid this out every week. Courage and comfort is a tension worth wrestling with. Courage and comfort cannot coexist. That because of what courage requires, taking a step in the face of fear, you cannot be comfortably courageous. It's an oxymoron that doesn't connect, doesn't make sense, and doesn't exist. But while we so often, right, this is what we've said, while we so often assess the risk of taking a courageous step, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. What if I fail? What if they reject me? Like, I don't know all the risks. Like, while we often assess the risk of taking a courageous step, we rarely count the cost of staying comfortable because your comfort and mine is costly because it is so often on the other side of a courageous step that there's something that God wants to do in and through your life. And so I've just said, hey, we would do well to get in the habit of asking this question. What if your Comfort is costing you more than you should be comfortable with. In week one of the series, if you'll remember, we looked at this uh, really well-known moment in the gospel of Matthew. And I want to look back at it. I'm not going to reteach this. I want to look back at a particular moment to kind of launch into where we're going today. And if you missed week one, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it, you know, on, on YouTube or however you like to listen to messages. But we looked at this moment um, where Peter walks on water. Even if you're not a person of faith, you've probably heard about this moment that the disciples were in a boat out um, in the Sea of Galilee. It was dark, stormy conditions were starting to brew. And then Jesus just walks out to them on the water, okay? Because he's Jesus. And they're terrified. They're like, it's a ghost. And Jesus assures them, no, 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 it's not a ghost. It's me. And then Peter of all people, remember what he says? He says, hey, Jesus, if it's really you, then call me out to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, all right, So come on. And you remember what Peter did next? Then Peter, Matthew tells us, who was in the boat thinking, oh man, here we go. He doesn't have his waterproof tunic on. He he says, then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. He took those first steps. You know, he gingerly got out of the boat, holding onto the side and then walked towards Jesus. And then you remember, we looked at this, remember what happens next? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
And this is the moment that I want to talk about today. This is the moment for Peter. This is why getting out of the boat and starting something requires one level of courage, but continuing on when it gets hard requires a different kind of courage. To step out of the boat for Peter required some courage, right? But suddenly he gets a few steps in. We don't know how far Jesus was away. You know how far the situation was like, come on, you could, you know, like, but he certainly took a few steps towards Jesus and then suddenly realized there's something else to be afraid of. Your first step out of the boat was like, is this water gonna hold me? Then he starts walking. And then there was the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was something else that required courage to keep moving. Here's what we've all experienced at one point or another. That sometimes the first step of courage might feel like the scariest, but it's not necessarily the hardest. That sometimes that first step of courage into the unknown, into the thing that you know you should do, into that authentic community, into whatever it looks like for you to live in the light, right? That, that oftentimes that first step of courage feels like the defining moment. And sometimes it is, but often it's steps five, six, and seven when there's something else in front of you to be afraid of that makes all the difference. How do we respond in the middle of it all to the wind and the waves. Because we've all, we've all been there. You've all been there. Like, like you take that step, you do the thing that you know you should do, and then you face adversity. You, you face a setback, setback or, or a, a roadblock. Your, your expectations aren't met. You fail. The process is slower than you thought it would be. The, the patience is wearing thin. The passion starts to wane. Second guessing begins, right? Like the job was harder than you thought it would be. Leadership is lonelier than you ever considered it to be. Following your conviction against what everyone else is doing was far more difficult than you imagined it to be. Working with those people was way more challenging than you thought it would be. That opportunity that you stepped into, that you're like, man, this is what I've got to do. God has opened this door. It was far more stretching than you wanted it to be. And it's getting more uncomfortable. That person is making it impossible to love as Jesus loved me. Reconciling is way harder. It doesn't feel fair. It's way harder. I didn't know they were going to say that. I didn't imagine they'd respond like that. Or you get in the middle of it and suddenly what it looks like to follow your conviction or maybe even follow in the way of Jesus has other people looking at you, Christian and non-Christian, thinking, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And suddenly the fear of what other people think starts to set in. How do we keep choosing courage after we've chosen courage? There's this letter that the apostle Paul wrote. In fact, that's the majority of the New Testament is, a bunch of letters that the apostle Paul wrote to different churches. And there's two letters in our New Testament, first and second Timothy. They were letters to, you guessed it, Timothy, super creative with our naming of these things. Um, uh, and Timothy is actually is this, this young leader um, that Paul met, the apostle Paul. He met him on one of his missionary journeys. Um, he became a Christian on one of Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul saw something in Timothy. And he's, I saw a lot of potential. And so he invited Timothy to join him on his missionary 
journeys. And so along the way, they're planting churches, you know, throughout these missionary journeys. And one of the churches that Paul planted was the church in Ephesus. His letter, the Ephesians, okay, in the New Testament was written to the church in Ephesus. Um, And so whenever they planted Ephesus, um, Paul um, had the, I don't know the process of how this all worked out, um, but he said, hey, Timothy, you should stay here and lead this church. It needs leadership. And I think you are the one to do it. And so um, Timothy stayed in Ephesus to lead this church. Now, what we know from their correspondence in First and Second Timothy, which are letters that Timothy wrote, that, that Paul wrote to Timothy, they were super close. Paul became a spiritual father of sorts to Timothy. Um, and what we learn from some of the context of First and Second Timothy is that Timothy was having a difficult time. He was super young for the position that he was in. This church, this movement that was launched after the resurrection of Jesus was still really brand new. So there's a lot of heads turning, some in a good way, some not in a good way. There was a lot of opposition to this movement of Jesus. And so Timothy, as a young person, is having to lead people older than him. That creates some insecurity. There's some false teachers teaching things opposed to what Paul is teaching in the way of Jesus. That's difficult to navigate. And so Timothy, from what we can kind of conjure up from the context of these letters was ready to throw in the towel and quit. He wanted to rejoin Paul on his missionary journeys. And that's saying a lot because those missionary journeys, you're not flying on an airplane where they feed you food. I mean, it was, you read about Paul's missionary journeys. It was a mess. That's how bad it was for Timothy. Hey, I'd rather just rejoin you on your missionary journeys. And so Paul, he writes a couple of letters to teach his young protege, but then to encourage him. And the, the, especially 2 Timothy, it's so personal. So personal. This is the last letter that the apostle Paul wrote before his martyrdom in Rome. And here he is writing to a guy that he's invested in, developed, cried with, laughed with, done ministry with, and you'll be able to feel the emotion. And here in the beginning of this second letter that we have that Paul wrote to Timothy, um, I believe is, could be the answer to how do you keep choosing courage? after you've stepped out of the boat and you're facing the wind and the waves. So the apostle Paul, he writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Hey man, I am praying for you always. There are not days that go by when I don't think about you, how much I love you, how much I believe in you. And I am praying for you. It goes on. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. More than likely what he's referring to here is that moment when Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, there had to have been some tears exchanged. They were both sad. This was the right thing to do. This is what I've got to do. But certainly it would have been sad. And Paul's like, man, I, I cannot wait to see you again. He goes on and I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. I'm reminded that your faith in Jesus is real. It is true, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I'm gonna remind you, I know this is true. You know this is true. I'm gonna remind you of the faith that you have. And then he goes on, for this reason, since I know and you know, Timothy, this faith in Jesus that you have is real and true. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Hey, Timothy, 
I know that what you are navigating is difficult. I know that you feel inadequate. I know that you don't feel up to the job. I know that you're facing opposition. I know that it would be a lot easier for you to just quit and rejoin me on these missionary journeys. However, here's what I want you to do instead, Timothy. I want you to remember the sincere faith that you have in Jesus. And as a response, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God. I want you to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. For Timothy, the specific gift was his personal ministry there in Ephesus. Hey, hey, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame and remember the purpose for which God has you where you are. And I love this metaphor, fan into flame. Any, any like just fireplace people in, in the house? Like you love a good fireplace, wood burning fireplace, no offense. I, I like, okay, no offense, it's all good. But wood burning specifically, like that when me and my wife were buying a house, that was a non-negotiable. Like some people are like, I need a kitchen and working bathrooms. I'm like, I need a wood burning fireplace, you know? I mean, it's a non-negotiable. We said no to homes that didn't have a wood-burning fireplace. It's so nostalgic for me. There's something about hearing the popping and, and just the, the, whole, the whole scene. It's such a vibe. And you know this. If you've ever sat around a fire in a fireplace or a fire pit, what is the tendency of fire? To go out. It burns and it really gets going. But the tendency of fire is to go out. And so what do you do? You stoke it. Or you fan it. In, in, in my house, my dad used to have a hairdryer next to the fireplace. And he about that, I know, probably bringing some kind of fire code. Um, but I mean, it would really get the fire going, okay? Well, yes, I mean, fellow, um, try it before you say, maybe don't. I can't be held liable. <laughs> don't plug in a hairdryer next to a fireplace. But it would really get the fire going, Right? When you, when you stoke the fire and when you fan the fire, what are you doing? You're giving that flame its life again. It's as if, as you're fanning and stirring and stoking the fire, it's like you're reminding it what it's capable of. It's as if you're reminding the fire of its purpose that all of us all of us, especially as we're trying to follow Jesus, especially, and for those of you that maybe you're, you're trying to figure out faith, but we've all experienced this as we've taken steps of courage, we all need a periodic renewing of passion and energy to remember why it is we are in the middle of whatever we are in the middle of. And Paul tells Timothy, it's time to rekindle those embers because those embers aren't dead yet. There's still so much potential in them and work to be done through them. And the same is true for you, Timothy, and the same is true for you and for me. That whatever you're in the middle of, you're looking at the wind and the waves and God is saying, there's still more to be done here. Like maybe you're in the middle of the process of trying to reconcile Maybe you're in the middle of trying to figure out, okay, this is a new way for me of living and I'm going to choose integrity, but man, I knew it cost me, but now it's really costing me. That you're in the middle of confronting the tension and fighting for the sake of your marriage. Maybe you're serving with that middle school group or that high school group and you're like, what?
you're trying to figure out how to cultivate that real authentic community to be fully known. Man, it's hard. Maybe you're exploring or re-exploring faith and there's maybe some church trauma and some baggage and it's like, I, I don't know. I wanna, I wanna quit. I wanna leave. And what I think Paul would tell you, there's more for you here. You took that first step of courage towards out of the boat and these embers aren't dead yet. There's a purpose for where God has you and why he has you there. And then Paul kind of drops this line. He says, look, I know your faith is true. I want you to remember why you are where, I want you to fan into flame how you might be serving God's purposes with where you are. And then he tells them why. And I believe that this right here is what compels you and I, what can compel you and I to keep choosing courage. He says, for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid. This word timid um, could be translated fear or cowardice. Hey, the, the spirit of timidity that you have, the spirit of cowardice to shrink back, it's not a spirit from God. That is the human spirit. That is you. That is me. That is all of us. Again, we would not need courage if none of us had any spirit of timidity. That is our natural human disposition, right? You take an iPhone out of the box. It has default settings. This is our default settings. He says, for the spirit, God gave us, does not make us timid. He goes on, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit, the spirit that produces timidity and fear in you is the human spirit. But the spirit that God gave you, Paul says, the spirit that God gave you, that spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. And that spirit, that spirit produces that spirit enables and that spirit empowers more power, love, and self-discipline in us in the middle of whatever or whoever we're facing than we could ever conjure up on our own. And as powerful of a motivator as fear is, as powerful as fear is in your life and in mine, this trio of power, love, and self-control forms an effective counterforce to any fear or timidity we might be facing. It could compel you and I to keep going. A quick word, a quick word on each power, love, and self-discipline. What is it about these? What do they produce in you and in me? What is it about these that can help us in the face of the wind and the waves? Well, first, power, okay? This is not like a, a superhuman strength, like Iron Man kind of power. Um, that's not what this is. Um, it's a spiritual power. And what that might look like in you and in me is boldness, boldness to do the difficult thing to not let the fear of man get in the way, to not let the fear of people impact your behavior. Boldness, taking a risk. When it would be a lot more comfortable to stay put. Boldly standing up for what you believe in. Boldly being the light of Jesus in an industry or in a world or in a company or in a space 
where there's a lot of darkness and it'd be easier to blend in. Power might look like in your life and in mine, what I like to call spiritual grit, spiritual grit. This is like a good kind of stubbornness. Like this is an endurance kind of grit, a persevering kind of grit, a sticking to it and being spiritually strong. For some of us, what power might produce and what it might look like in your life and in mine is grace in our weakness. That some of us, some of us have been in situations where we've gotten to the end of ourselves. In the middle of it, and it's like, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. And some of us, some of us have had a moment where we've experienced grace and God meeting our needs in a way that we never imagined he could have. That in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. That, that somehow you got the grace to continue. You got the grace to have a clarity of mind. That somehow God's grace showed up to you in the, sake, in the form of a person that loved you through it, that encouraged you through it. The power might look like grace in our weakness where we see the goodness and the power of God in a way that we couldn't have if we didn't find ourselves weak and insecure. Spirit of love. Now this word love, as you might know, there, there's multiple Greek words for love in the New Testament and they all mean very different things, different types of love. And this love that the spirit enables, empowers and produces in us is agape love. And this love is the highest form of love in all of the New Testament. Um, it is the love that God has shown us in Christ. The love that God shows you no matter what you do, where you've been, how long you've been away, it is agape, perfect love. It is this kind of love that drives out fear. It is this kind of love. Willing the ultimate good of another. Willing the ultimate good of another unconditionally. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what they've done to you. And this is, this is one of the most powerful things about the way of Jesus. In a world that wants to get even, in a world that wants to get revenge, in a world that wants to cancel, in a world that wants to move on, the way of Jesus is, I've put a spirit in you that will enable you to love. And remember the context, adversity and opposition. No matter who you are facing for whatever reason. And lastly, self-discipline. What this might look like in your life and in mine is prudence, um, a sensibility about yourself and mine. You and I governing ourselves with reason, and you know this, okay? Um, whenever you bump into the wind and the waves and the adversity and the difficulty and the roadblock and this, it is really, really easy um, to not respond with reason, but to opposite. It's really, really easy to wanna run for emotions to take over and maybe even to do something that normally we would not do. And so a spirit of self-discipline is, hey, I'm going to slow down long enough to think this through kind of connected to that, self-discipline might show up in your life as being responsive, not reactive, right? Um, the, 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 when you respond to something, you're kind of taking in all the information that you are facing, but then also what you know outside of this situation. It's a recentering and a reordering and a reorienting your mind so you can respond well rather than just react. And, and, and you know this, you know this. Um, uh, we've all reacted I have a friend of mine that often says, that says that whenever you react, 
you often regret? And I know I'm talking about each of these three things separately just for clarity's sake, but they kind of tie in and out of each other because sometimes it's the boldness that leads you to love. Um, sometimes, sometimes you know this, it's the self-discipline um, where it would be easier to just react and get even It would be the self-discipline. It would be easier just to react and say something that you might regret, but the self-discipline allows you to slow down long enough to love, to slow down, to think long enough, to say there's a God on my side, so I'm gonna keep being bold. Responding is processing and moving beyond what we are immediately feeling and responding well. And then lastly, this might show up as being honest with yourself. And I was tempted to talk about just this one with self-discipline. This is you and I having the self-discipline to not make excuses, to not make excuses to run, to not talk ourselves into doing what we know would be out of character, to, to not make excuses to why we should give up, honestly assessing what's going on in our minds and in our hearts, honestly assessing what we know to be true, no matter what we are seeing. You, you, you actually, like there can be no self-discipline without you and I having the courage to honestly look ourselves in the mirror and assess what is really going on. So that kind of power, that kind of love, and that kind of self-discipline, Paul says, that's the kind of spirit that lives in you and that's what enables what it enables, produces, and empowers in your life. And that kind of power, love, and self-control, I don't know about you, but I'll just speak to myself. I can't just conjure that up by my own willpower. It's also not that thing where God just snaps his fingers and it just happens in you. You're just gonna wait for the power, wait for the love, and wait for the self-discipline. No, no, no. As with most things as it relates to following Jesus, it's a combination of acknowledging that that Holy Spirit lives in you and in me. And trusting that spirit that is in you and is in me and that he's got you. And then allowing that truth to give us the confidence to step in power, to step in love and to respond with self-discipline. The gospels over and over and over again. And we just look, we, we've re-looked at it with the, the Peter walking on water. Over and over and over again, Jesus called the disciples to take steps of courage. And over and over and over again, it was his presence that compelled them to do it. Peter walked out on the water because of his confidence that the presence of Jesus out there on the water and what Paul is reminding Timothy and what he is reminding you and me is that by his Holy Spirit inside of us, in the same way, his presence can compel us to keep on walking. First, acknowledging that he's there. And, and, and I get it, especially if you're like newer to church or you're trying to figure out church and it's like, what do you mean the spirit, Holy Spirit? Just telling you, I, I can't really explain all of it and how it works, but here's what I know Jesus said, that it would be better for him to leave this earth and after his resurrection, he ascended up to heaven. He knew it would be better to leave this earth because he said, when I leave, I will send my Holy Spirit to live in whoever believes in me. And that spirit will comfort. That spirit will empower you and it will empower me. And so for some of us, it's remembering and being reminded of and acknowledging the spirit of power, love, and self-control that lives in me. That it's, it's, it's acknowledging this, that, 
There is a presence greater than me. Present with me. There is a greater, there is a presence greater than me. Bigger than me. Present always with me. You know this. Sometimes it is knowing who is with you that gives you the courage and the confidence to keep going. Our oldest, Harper, dad of of three girls, and she is our most timid. And it's been incredible to kind of see her grow over the last couple of years, but I can remember moments, even now, where it's like she doesn't want to go do something or she, she doesn't want to, you know, go play with her friends or she has to, it takes her a long time to get comfortable. Super, super timid. Not a lot of confidence. And there are moments where like, I mean, I remember this, like we'll, we'll go to the playground with some, you know, different families that we're friends with and they have kids. And, you know, I'm just kind of sitting on the bench, just hanging out. I'm here. And she's like, daddy, come with me. And I'm like, we'll just, you can go. I, I want to challenge her to go and to do things by herself. But here's what I've often found is oftentimes I don't have to get up on the monkey bars, you know, and get stuck in a tube slide. That's not what she's asking me to do. But sometimes all it takes is me just stepping into that play area where the wood chips are. That's it. And then, and then almost always she, she lets go of the hand and, and she goes, and every now and then she'll look back to make sure I'm still on the wood chips. But she's not asking me to test the limits of the weight capacity of that playground. <laughs> she just needs to know that I'm with her. But she still has to have the courage to step and to go anyway. So for us, it might start with acknowledging or re-acknowledging, or remembering in the middle of whatever you're facing. He's with you. You can trust him. And then respond. Do it scared. Because the spirit of power, it gives you the courage to be bold no matter what you face. Or you can have the courage to do it scared to be bold no matter what you face, to follow through on your convictions rather than living for the approval of people, choosing your kids or your family rather than putting them on the altar of your career, sharing the gospel with your friend or with your neighbor that you've built trust with, extending an invitation to church, even though it might be a little bit weird or awkward because you don't know how they're going to respond, but you just have grown to love them too much to not wanna share with them something that has changed your life. Boldness might look like staying where you are, not giving up on them, not leaving, not quitting because it got hard. Sometimes it might look like leaving and that's the hard part because it would be easier to stay, but you know it's just not right. But the spirit of power, it'll give you the courage to be bold. So be bold, even if it means doing a scared Spirit of love gives you the courage to will the good of another no matter who you face. Because people will frustrate you and there are people that you disagree with that Jesus is calling you to love. There are people that you're going to want nothing to do with. There are gonna be people that might straight up oppose you. 
and try to dampen what you're trying to shine. Jesus, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he didn't say that as just some pithy statement to put on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. He meant it with every fiber of his human and divine being. Love your enemies. The way of Jesus is different, y'all. And come on, for the Christians, if I could just lean in for a second, for the Jesus follower, this is us loving the marginalized. This is us having the courage and the boldness to keep loving the marginalized that are not in church, to keep loving the marginalized that other churches and Christians have given up on. This is us as Christians having the courage to show the love of Jesus that ultimately got him killed. This is us having the boldness and the courage to draw circles and not just lines for the sake of the gospel. And it's gonna be scary, but the spirit of love will give you the courage if you leaned in and do it scared to love no matter who you face. And the spirit of self-discipline gives you the courage to be honest with the one you face in the mirror. To stop making excuses to not letting your first reaction to be run or to hate or to get even or to quit or to stay. To be able to look yourself in the mirror and be honest with what's going on in your heart and your mind. To be honest with what you know to be true about God no matter what you're facing. And to allow that response to ultimately drive the steps of courage that follow. Four, spirit. God gave us, does not make us timid. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Remember, the one who calls you out of the boat is the same one that is with you in the wind and the waves. Acknowledge that his spirit is in you and do it scared and keep choosing courage because your comfort and mine is far too costly. And we should get in the habit of asking these questions. What is my comfort costing me? What is my comfort costing others? And what is my comfort costing the kingdom? Because fear will certainly be in your future but it does not have to define your future. We can choose courage. And courage might look like light in the darkness. Courage might save a marriage. Courage might introduce faith to someone that doesn't have any. Courage might change your soul. Courage might finally defeat that sin. Courage will reflect Jesus to the world around you. And ultimately, we follow a savior that resurrected from the grave and defeated death. And when he put death in its place, he put fear in its place. So we, as his followers, could choose courage and to do it scared because we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our courage. Let's not be a people 
Let's not be a group of followers that leave it up to chance, that let comfort make the decisions, but behind our Savior, choose courage, whose spirit in you and in me gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. And thank you for his presence. I know in some instances it might feel like it'd be easier if he was right there in front of us like he was in the Gospels. But would you give us the faith to believe that his spirit does reside in us and we can trust him. We can trust it. And I pray, God, that as we wrestle with what this looks like for us, would you give us the courage to step, the courage to trust, and the courage to be bold, the courage to love, and the courage to be honest with ourselves. Believing you will use it for your purposes in us, for others, and ultimately for your kingdom. Maybe a group of people that would not be afraid to do it scared because we know who our savior is, what he conquered and what he's all about. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.